your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. Okay, we're going to be talking about the need for power and control. It's our human nature to want that. And what's really fundamentally interesting is that if you look at the DSM-5, the Diagnostic Manual for Mental Health, number five, you would find that every man-made diagnosis, now I'm not talking about things like schizophrenia and stuff that we inherit, but I'm talking about depression, anxiety, OCD, things like that. These disorders all have, their symptoms are all how people deal with the need to control things they cannot control. Those man-made diagnoses, those thought disorders derive from the very need for power and control over other people. And, and people often equate freedom with having a lot of control over things. And we think we would rather be the boss who has control over other employees than the subordinate or the follower who's under the control of the boss. But you know, in psychology, it reinforces the idea that control is a good thing. And, and research on the focus, the focus of control indicates that people with an internal locus of control, people who believe they are in control of the rewards they receive, they're completely responsible for their own life, they are psychologically healthier, and that's called mindfulness. And they're also more successful than people with an external locus of control, people who believe their fate is in the hands of external uncontrollable factors, those people have a really hard time adapting to life. Their locus of motivation comes from others. They're always worried about how they're perceived by other people, yet you can't control that. What makes us really angry when we're in relationships and in marriage is that our spouse will try to tell us what is right. Um, so we will offset and, and express some kind of emotion about something that they've done, and then they defend themselves and try to tell you exactly what the truth is when they're not validating your emotional perception. And so people at least need and struggle deeply with the desire to have the, uh, the sense of feeling of control. They know they can't control when it comes to others. However, they want to have the feeling of control. And that means we validate people's feelings before we go to try to be right and try to give intentions and logic. You know, there's a downside to being in control when it involves trying to control other people. Because other people don't want to be controlled by you any more than you want to be controlled by other people. I mean, look at the day and age we're in where we're all forced to get some stupid shot that doesn't even solve anything. And then we still get COVID, even with the mask on. Um, I mean, our government tries to control everything that we do. And God forbid people strive for freedom. They're going to squash you. You know, so in therapy, we often hear if we do not like the way in which others are behaving, we're better off changing our own feelings about their behavior than trying to change their behavior. And so the reason for this is that behavioral habits are notoriously difficult to change. Even when a person really wants to change his or her own habits, if people are not interested in changing their behavior, it's almost impossible to make them change. 
Attempting to control other person's behaviors is a type of neurosis, and it's based on childhood feelings of powerlessness. And so the different strategies to attempting to have to hold uh, power over others is to as to control dramas. Attempts to hold sway over others by creating drama often it's it's more uh, obvious and 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 two active control dramas. You know the interrogator and the intimidator is often the roles that people play. You know why did you do this? Why did you do that? Well, the thing is, if you ask. Why questions? People are going to lie to you because they're motive based and you likely have the answer in your own mind, right or wrong. You believe you already have the answer and you're just validating that the other person is wrong. And so when you ask a why question, people lie. They just do. And so the deal is, is ask your children a why question and see what happens. You know, the bottom line is we as people would be so much better if we did interrogation in a much different way where we ask what made you decide to do that or how did you decide to do that rather than why did you decide to do that because now we're not looking for the person to be a bad person you know the bottom line is we are going to teach people a better understanding of life through asking for the intention rather than beating on outcomes you know, it's this neurosis of trying to control others can really create a lot of problems. A lot of people will rebel just because you told them what to do. They will literally rebel knowing that what you're asking them to do is right. However, they don't because they've been told to do it rather than get to choose to do it. And that's the human spirit. And the ways in which people attempt to control others is not limited to a neurotic control drama. Many, many of the ways in which people strive to regulate each other's behavior is regarded as perfectly normal and not at all neurotic. So for example, you know, people may use flattery and do nice things for others, expecting that they will return the favor. Most of us hold standards of what we regard as appropriate behavior, and we try to change people who do, don't follow our standards of what we expect of them. Expectations cause depression and it creates a failure narrative about yourself and others. So if you want to step into the land of depression, have a lot of expectations that are not going to be met and see what happens to you. You know, if you want to move away from that, you turn to I prefer so that you actually join life rather than try to control life. You know, the, the, these uh, uh, people will use negative labels such as lazy or foolish or wrong in attempts to persuade people to change behavior they don't like. And often they claim they're trying to change others for their own good. I mean, it's crazy. A, a truly free person is immune to both the neurotic and normal attempts of others to regulate their behavior. And the advice given us for accomplishing this is to make the following agreement with ourselves. Don't take anything personally. That would be great if we could do that in life. However, we're emotional creatures. You know, when we agree not to take anything personally, we regard all attempts by others to control us as statements about them, not about us. By refusing to take threats, criticism, evasion, complaints, praise, disapproval personally, we act upon our own reality, not upon their reality. 
And, and, and I would add that a truly free person does not attempt to control others either. Trying to control others, even people who in our eyes are misbehaving, is like trying to make water run uphill. Uh, you know, unless you can convince a person that listening to you is in their own best interest, you're wasting valuable time, which is really uh, antithetical to the idea of freedom. You know, you know, in, in, uh, I actually am beginning to believe that there's a lot to be said for giving up control. You know, letting go and letting God, as they say in the in the recovery movement. But you know, the, this flies in the, the face of research on the merits of internal locus of control, self-efficacy. You know, but nonetheless, it seems to me that such an attitude has a really strong basis in reality. And we are much more likely to achieve success and happiness if we allow ourselves to align with greater forces than to fight the flow and deny the reality. However, we all have free will. We have a freedom of choices. And it's important for us to exercise our values in our choices. You know, the whole bottom line is in life, are you making decisions emotionally? Are you deciding to discipline your child because you're upset or are you trying to teach them? You know, we want to do things and make decisions, especially big decisions, based on logic, not on emotion. People who try to control often use their emotion to try to influence an outcome. And when they do that, Oftentimes, it's taken as a bad choice and a bad recommendation simply because it's emotional. We want to land on logic. Logic is the best place to make decisions. Give yourself time to do that. You know, having power over others, having choices in your own life, it, it shares a really important foundation. You know, control, uh, you know, if, if you look at uh, uh, the Psychology Science magazine, uh, well, excuse me, it's a journal, for the Association of Psychological Science, there's a paper in there that finds that people are willing to trade one source of control for the other. And for example, if people lack power, they clamor for choice. And if they have an abundance of choice, they don't strive for as much power. So people instinctively prefer high to low power positions. And so similarly, it feels good when you have a choice and it doesn't feel good when choice is taken away. We know that in the day and age that we live in, in the COVID life, where our government dictates everything that we do and has literally destroyed our way of life as human beings and enjoy it. And they enjoy it. And that's the sick part of it all. But we'll cover that next week. You know, in, in, in uh, one experiment, participants started out by reading a description of a boss or an employee that had them think about how they would feel in that role. That meant some people were made to feel powerful and some were made to feel powerless. Well, you always know you have a good manager when that manager says and does, I work for you. Because that's what a manager is supposed to do, work for their employees, not seek power to, to promote their employees, to, to let their employees be known for the great work they do. That's a great boss. However, some people want to just order people around and scare them to death because they have control over their job, their income, and everything else. And they use that, and that sense of power turns them into a person that does not influence well. They may destroy things, they may change things, but that change may not last because it was created by the need for power. 
And we have to understand that eventually people will right the wrong. You know, true power requires modesty and empathy, not force and coercion. But what people want from leaders is social intelligence, which is what we lack. And it's what is damaged by the experience of power. When you give people power, they will begin to delude and dement anything that has to do with common sense. And so it's much safer to be feared than loved. And that comes from uh, Machiavelli's book, The Prince. And that was in the 16th century, by the way. And so they had a, a good sense of what power can do to people. You know, um, he created some laws in that book of the, of the prince. And um, he created 48 of them, by the way. But here's a few of them. Conceal your attentions. Court attention at all costs. Use <laughs> selectivity, honesty, generosity to disarm your victims. Crush your enemy totally. Keep others in suspended terror. Boy, don't we all want to live in that? Well, that's what we're getting these days, unfortunately. You know, there's, there's a lot of longstanding myths about what constitutes true power, how people obtain it, how they use it. But studies show that once people assume positions of power, they're likely to act more selfish, impulsive, aggressive, and they have a harder time seeing the world from other people's point of view. And so the skills most important to obtaining power and leading effectively are the very skills that deteriorate once that we have power. So there's a paradox here, and it requires that we be very vigilant against the corruptive influences of power and its ability to distort the way we seize ourselves and, and, and treat others. We see this. We live in this every day of our life. God forbid people try to fight back, but they keep getting squashed. You know, the term power often evokes images of force and coercion. Many people assume that power is most evident on the floor of the United States Congress or in corporate boardrooms, you know, in the, in the presidency. Treatments of power in social sciences have followed suit, zeroing in on clashes over cash, over votes, over political decision-making, and military might. You know, it's amazing, this world that we live in, how people want power so much. Even particular uh, political parties, their whole goal, instead of intelligence and wisdom and, and treating people well, is the idea of having power. Power at any cost. You know, so if we look at the Machiavelli group members, you know, uh, who participated in those laws and who are willing to deceive and backstab and intimidate, undermine others in their pursuit of power, those people do not actually rise to positions of power. Their peers quickly recognize that they will harm others in the pursuit of their own self-interest, and they'll tag them with a reputation being harmful, and eventually they lose their power. So, uh, you know, cooperation and modesty aren't just ethical ways to use power, but they don't only serve the interests of a group. They're also valuable skills for people who seek positions of power and want to hold them. What are they going to do with their power? That is the question. What are they going to do with their need to control? You know, power corrupts. Absolute power completely corrupts. Unfortunately, this is not a myth. We've seen this throughout history. Look at Hitler. You know, look at Stalin. Look at look at all these horrible people that have led, you know, Genghis Khan, all these monster people who have led our civilizations throughout time.
Power even props uh, less complex legal reasoning. So that means that legal reasoning is thrown out the door for power, you know? And, and so what power will do is try to load the court system with people who make up their own laws, you know? And a great deal of research has found that power encourages people to act in their own whims, their desires, and their impulses, you know? So when you give power, you know, in scientific experiments, those people are more likely to physically touch others in inappropriate ways, to flirt in more direct fashion, to make risky choices, to gamble, to make first offers and negotiations, to speak their mind, you know, uh, eat cookies, and, and, and all the crumbles get to be all over their chin because they don't care about hiding it. And it's just amazing how these people operate. However, we have that in our life and we have to be aware of it being there and we have to understand what kind of temperament it requires in our life to operate in a sense of power. You know, it also can form a lot of aggression. Uh, it, can, it can form a lot of uh, 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 people quickly descending into the purest forms of power of abuse. We see that oftentimes in prisons where they have too much somebody with too much power, whether it's an officer, whether it's, you know, uh, a guard, whether it's uh, the warden, whether it's the prisoners. If they get a sense of power, they may use it for the worst possible thing. So power is a very important thing and control is a very important thing for all of us to begin to conceive because it has a viral effect if we allow it. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk more about control and power. Come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for The Power of Young People to Change the World, hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time, or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. 
That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about the need for power and control. And what's interesting is, if you think of where power and control may come from, uh, think of your just typical schoolyard bully. You know, the thing about a bully is they are looking for someone who will show a sign of fear or show some sort of reaction to their behavior. And so if you think about it, it's like a dog chewing on a squeaky toy. You know, if you let a dog have a squeaky toy and it's it's young, especially young, young dog, it's probably going to chew the squeaky out of the toy because it wants to show you how powerful it is because the thing is squealing. And that's a bully. The other thing is if you gave that dog the same toy and it did not squeak, there's a high likelihood that that toy would land in the corner never to be chewed on again or played with. And so we have to understand that bullies are looking for reactions, and that includes people that move into bullying in their life. You know, you have to imagine a person who aggressively commands others to do what they want. But there is also the idea that oftentimes people that seek leadership have qualities of borderline personalities, which those kind of people go back and forth. They 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 keep everybody off off base by emotionally criticizing them or or uh, um, gaslighting them. The same thing happens with narcissists. Narcissists love power. Um, like what we have in our government today. And then the other idea is the antisocial personalities love power. And so, you know, there's many subtle ways in which you may not be aware of. And this kind of behavior isn't only limited to romantic relationships, which many people experience, but controlling people showing up in all areas of life, like coworkers, bosses, friends, family, politicians, strangers. You know, they all, if you end up feeling small and embarrassed, humiliated, Whenever you come in contact with these kind of people, it may be time to step back, look at your intuition, and start to evaluate what these people are about so you know how to avoid them. And, and you know, they love, first of all, there's some signs that indicate this kind of a person. And here's a toxic personality for you that's in a power or the need to control uh, type of position. You're blamed for major minor things you've done nothing, to, you have nothing to do with. And if something goes wrong, they take on the role of a victim and make you believe you're responsible for things beyond your control. You might hear, you know, it's all your fault or you shouldn't have done this. Come up in the conversation and then they criticize you. You know, a controlling person will attempt to undermine your confidence by making jabs at you in private or public. And, and here's some examples. You know, exaggeration of your flaws at work, always pointing out typos in an email Never acknowledging when you do something right. You know, becoming irrationally angry if you don't answer your phone right away. Making mean jokes about you in front of other people. Criticizing the way you dress or you speak. These are all signs that this is a toxic, control, power-oriented human being. Also, they would demand your attention constantly, gradually isolating you from friends and family as a method of control. And so they'll try to keep you all to themselves. 
by complaining about how often you hang out with certain friends or family members. God forbid you actually have a life. But it's not always this obvious. They might just glare at you when you're on the phone with loved ones or groan when you spend time with family. The other thing is they also keep score. They always expect something in return and make you feel guilty if you don't do what they want. And they keep tabs on every little favor. And once again, these are signs. You know, if they paid for your dinner one night and let you uh, 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 crash at their place, for example, they'll bring it up repeatedly. They might also go out of their way to appear overly generous as a way to keep you in debt to them. They also gaslight. You know, they underplay your experience by lying, accusing you of being overly sensitive. And if you're upset about something they told you last week, they'll deny ever having said it. And that's all in your mind. And you start second guessing yourself all the time. And that indicates a toxic person around you. You need to diminish these people's roles in your life as much as you possibly can. You know, if you suspect like a close friend of spreading rumors about you, in response, they'll say you're imagining things or blame someone else, despite any evidence you might have. These are toxic people. They also create drama. You know, if you have a big win at work, a controlling person might immediately change the subject, sulk about something that upset them that day, and regain your attention. And they may also sabotage your relationships with others as a way to have a leg up on you. You know, they might take uh, screenshots of your private text without your permission or record you without your permission. You know, you've just got to catch on that these are signs of people you do not need in your life or you need to exclude and diminish as much as you possibly can. You know, if someone is exerting excessive control, they may constantly act superior or try to undermine your reputation. You know, at work, this this can look like a coworker who's always interrupting you during a meeting to state their own opinion, or a boss who disdainfully talks down to you in front of your peers. They may also make veiled threats in way of jokes. You know, if you don't turn this in, we'll start clearing out your desk. You know, it, that's that's just somebody that wants power. They're waiting for your reaction. They're wanting your reaction. Also, here's a sign of a controlling, power-oriented person. They're moody. They show drastic mood changes. One moment, they're buying you gifts, lavishing with praise, and the next, they're acting like a bully. You know, if you end up feeling like you're walking on eggshells, never know where you stand with them, that's a really good indicator. By the way, that's a great book, Stop Walking on Eggshells. That's an indicator that you're – and they're always wanting you to say you're sorry, by the way. That's the indicator that you're around somebody – who is it toxically needs to control and have power? <clears throat> they don't accept boundaries, and they'll try to press, persuade or pressure you into changing your mind. You know, if you said you can't meet up, they'll show up uninvited, or they'll refuse to leave leave a party early, even after saying you feel sick. You know, they, they'll always want your undivided attention, become upset when you make plans with others, and so they might. Uh, speak badly or make negative comments about you or the friends that you're talking to. They might interrogate you about where you go or who you see. They might pout every time you plan to go out with someone new, you know, and, and they'll try to mold you and, and to suit their interests. And that's the whole goal of a borderline, of a narcissist, of an antisocial personality. They pressure you to make changes to your appearance and the way you dress to the point that you become completely codependent on them. And so we, in this life, if we have those kind of qualities, these type of people prey on 
codependent people. They prey on them. And what I mean by that is like a stalker stalking someone, like a wolf trying to kill a, another another animal. You know, they, they, they also uh, show abusive behavior. You know, you have to be honest with yourself about the situation and assess whether these controlling patterns are worth having in your life and what the cost will be to get them out of your life. Ask yourself if the person is controlling your freedom or your autonomy. You know, do you feel trapped or dominated? Uh, or are you concerned for your safety? You know, all these are clear red flags that behavior has turned into coercive control, which is a form of domestic violence, by the way. And so feeling free to be yourself is one of the most important things of your identity and your self-worth. And it's under attack in this day and age. It is under attack, your ability to be yourself, to have your identity, and have your self-worth. You know, no romantic relationship, friendship, working relationship should make you feel small or unsafe. You know, no matter what they've told you, none of this is your fault, and you deserve better uh, to, to live this way, to live not this way, to live in your own world. You need that. We only have this life here and and we don't know what's going to happen and so you know bottom line is we need to get toxic out of our life so the need to control the need for power really is a major virus in the human condition that we have to battle every moment of every day so what is control well it, it's exerting influence over a person's environment or the actions or behaviors of another person or animal is sometimes used excessively by those who fear the unpredictable and the ambiguous. So they feel the need to prove themselves and, and, and they have the fear of losing control. And so what they do is they narrow down their ability to make decisions. They procrastinate. They put things off that they feel that they cannot control. Therefore, they never take what's called a leap of faith, which is what life is about. Life is one leap of faith after the other. It is not about control. It is not about fear. It's about taking a leap of faith to get in a relationship, to get married, to have children, buy a car, buy a home, you know, whatever it is, get, take a new job, move to a d different town, buy a new house. All of these are leaps of faith. We don't know what it's going to look like on the other side. And so it's important for us to stay in line with the way that life operates. And that's leaps of faith rather than the need to control. You know, sometimes control is used excessively by by the fear of, of, of the unpredictable. And we have to understand that that is not a way to live. And so the, the, there's an incessant need in an insecure person that they need to become overwhelming. You know, that control may become overwhelming and exhausting. And so and, 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 and what happens is a controlling person will will exhaust a relationship, overwhelm a relationship, wreak havoc. Uh, on careers and overall quality of life, home life, marriage, children. It's amazing the damage that the need to control and have power, especially if you're an adult or a parent who's parenting young children, you're turning them into you, sadly. And, and the control is typically a reaction to the fear of losing control. So people who struggle with the need to control, to be in control, often fear being in the mercy of others. And this fear may stem from traumatic events that left them feeling helpless and vulnerable. And so as a result, they crave control in a disproportionate and unhealthy ways. 
The experience of abuse and neglect, for example, can make people look for ways to regain control of their lives. And sometimes victims lash out at other people in their life. And also the need to control drives people to turn to the external world in order to find things they can control. They may be compelled to micromanage or orchestrate the actions and behaviors of others or maintain rigid rules regarding routine or diet or cleanliness or order. You know, some people who are physically and psychologically abusive inflict pain on loved ones as a form of ridicule, isolation, restrictions, physical or sexual assault, because they themselves are in pain, though this pain is often deeply buried and unacknowledged. And so, you know, relating psychologically to where control issues come from is a very important thing for each of us to understand. Traumatic or abusive life experiences are oftentimes a root of the need to control things we can't control, a lack of trust of yourself or others, anxiety, fears of abandonment, low and fears of abandonment comes from not ever feeling safe. And that causes what's called an anxious attachment to other people. If you're not safe in the early years of your life or any years of your life in your early, in your early childhood development, you're going to find yourself having anxious attachment your whole life. You know, low or damaged self-esteem can also cause the need to control things. That's the bottom line of a narcissist is low and hugely damaged self-esteem. Also, a person may fall behind uh, beliefs, values, or faith, like doctrine, to tell people what they're supposed to be doing. You know, perfectionism and, and the fear of failure can paralyze a person's life because if it's not perfect, they don't want to do it. And that's that's a poor excuse for living because all of living is is experiential, meaning that we create experiences, we experience things, that uh, we follow the scientific method, which is to fail, fail, fail until we accomplish a new uh, invention, a new idea, a new message. You know, a, a emotional sensitivity and the fear of experiencing painful emotions is also gets in the way of people being able to develop healthy living. You know, there's a whole bunch of ways in which people might attempt to control their environment themselves or other people because people exert power over others to intimidate relationships, workplace settings, families, and other social groups so they can have a feeling, not the reality, but a feeling of control. You know, uh, uh, micromanagement is a very strong sign of a control freak. Uh, people keeping a person from seeing or, or talking to loved ones or friends is a control freak. You know, gaslighting, making you feel like you're crazy. Man, that that is just pervasive in the human condition. It's sad, but that's called projecting. You're projecting on another person what you actually think about yourself. That's gaslighting. You project on someone else who knows it doesn't belong to them, but they're being told that they are what that person that's, that's gaslighting them actually feels about themselves. You know, dishonesty is another way that people operate. Delusional. You know, a lot of people are delusional. A lot of people hide truths about themselves. They overprotect. Um, they, 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 uh, there's also physical and sexual, emotional abuse, bully, taunting. That that's a person that that is is not is an antisocial personality basically, or they have an aspect of an antisocial personality. You know, uh, disordered eating 
is a way to control yourself. Compulsive exercising is a way to try to control yourself. Self-harm, substance abuse, you know, compulsive arranging, uh, OCD, tidying and cleaning. Someone who struggles with the need to control may experience shame, anxiety, and stress, and depression. It's a host of other mental health concerns that come along with it. And so addressing control issues in therapy involves unraveling the source of the need to control. And so the, the client and the therapist basically work together to address the underlying fear, the emotions, and the anxiety, and develop coping strategies. And this process of increasing awareness can help people begin to give control away. You know, therapy can help a person basically identify the self-protective nature of the need to control and and perhaps the person's parents were 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 absent or emotionally unavailable in childhood and maybe maybe their childhood home was not a place of stability so emotional and physical instability and a lack of choices or autonomy can lead a person to seek control over aspects of life like recognizing and addressing this will help a person cultivate self-compassion and embrace the part of the self that needs protection and therefore they don't have to exert control. Now they can leap into the land of faith and take leaps of faith throughout their life and enjoy the experience of whatever they want to call it, but some people call it failure. But it's also learning. That's where our greatest wisdom comes from. You know, self-control you know, is is the ability to you you smell this beautiful piece of chocolate and you want it so bad, but you know that it might make you sick, so you decide not to eat it. That's self control. You know, that's if we can do thing, more of that in our life, we can have more balance and we have more opportunities and we have better health. All right, we're going to take another break. We're going to talk about more about power and control, but we're going to talk about self control. So come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Unravel the mysteries of metaphysics every week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Join host Barb Crowley as she and her insightful guest share what's been learned behind the veil, going just beyond our five senses. Now you can see things with an entirely different point of view. Tune in for Metaphysics, a view through the veil, broadcasting live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Use it to explore your advantage and deeper understanding. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, Please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about the need for power and control. Yeah, you know, it's just sad, but it's in our nature to want that. The one thing that we can control is ourself, you know, and self-control, you know, is something like the wanting to have a healthier body uh, for the summer, wanting to uh, be able to go to the gym or be able to have more friends. Uh, A lot of people are just dying to have more friends in their life. It's sad, but it's so common uh, these days just because of the COVID stuff that we live in. But, you know, we all face moments in life where high or low self-control comes into focus. And it's also, it's been a topic for years in in the psychology of self-control. People find the benefits of self-control are plentiful and essential for successful lives. You know, effective control has been linked to success in academics and occupations, as well as social wellness. You know, good mental and physical health, reduction in crime, longer high lifespans are also linked to good, healthy self-control. You know, it, it also serves as an executive function necessary for a person's goal attainment. And it, it's, a, it's a cognitive process, one that is present by self-regulating behavior in pursuit of personal goals. So for instance, if I'm going to decide to go after some very difficult degree, I'm going to make that commitment and begin to live my life as if I already have that degree. But the other thing is I'm going to find an emotion that will motivate me to get that information and do that hard thing in order for other people to seek the knowledge that I got, I went out and got rather than they did not. And so that's why they seek people to help them because they go out and do hard and learn hard and then they can apply hard to other people's lives and help them. You know, uh, the advanced executive process allows human beings to to inhibit themselves uh, uh, from impulsive responses favoring more appropriate type of context-specific behavior, where they get outcomes, where they're able to get results, where they're able to get tools that help them and other people through life. You know, cybernetics laid the groundwork for the exploration exploration of self-control and communication. And I think Wiener was a person that wrote about that in 1948. 
You know, the theory centers around the basic unit of a negative feedback loop. And so an environmental stimulus creates reactions resulting in behaviors that are compared to uh, a reference value that either leads to goal attainment or without control leads us away from it. So, you know, I don't want to go too deep into this kind of general systems theory which is cybernetics, but but it created a framework around self-control. So it theorized, uh, uh, like trying to get that slim body for the summer are attained over longer periods than concrete goals, like the need for food. <laughs> you know, goals are, hierarch are hierarchical and they're integrated into behavioral decisions, but it takes discipline and self-control to reach those goals that call for a process. And so behavioral decisions are implicitly uh, uh, designed uh, to, be, to have both physical and social reasons to do them. And decisions are also made first over lower level, level decisions. So we may have some lower level decisions that require a very long commitment to a process. And we may have some, some very fast decisions like what are we going to eat uh, for, for dinner? You know, but the bottom line is, if we want to live a moral and ethical life, making decisions that are considered to be even abstract, um, the bottom line is we want to make them at a higher level of executive functioning rather than at an emotional level. The emotional level does not give us the insight we need to implement self-control and create decisions where we can actually complete them you know, people that are stubborn will make an emotional decision and then try to force the decision even though they know it's not right. You know, theories have developed over time in recent years that uh, research on, on self-control, on morality, human strength ha has been a really important and integral area of focus in psychology. So when we know more about how the self can alter its own state to achieve you know, success, because we're always evolving, we're always adapting, the more flourishing our lives can be forged. But if we're always trying to control, we're not adapting, we're not evolving, we're just stationary, sitting there, procrastinating, perfectionism, or whatever it is, just trying to control things we cannot control. You know, self-control is basically a theory that was developed into a, a bigger concept. It's become more of an uh, effortful uh, uh, inhibition of people's uh, 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 impulses, especially, and also previous models have, have have been a deeper understanding of avoidance and other action-based uh, uh, problems that are present in people that score high on problems in people's life because they're trying to control stuff they cannot control. Therefore, they're they're stonewalling, they're dragging things out, they're pushing people away. They're not doing the things that they need to do to get done in life because other people depend on them simply because they don't feel like it and they don't want to do it because it's not going to be the result that they want it to be. You know, people find the benefits of self-control are plentiful. Here's a problem of a person that does has uh, no self-control is a person will want to control a work environment. So they will do everything and then nobody else gets to contribute. And they resent everybody else because they're not contributing. However, they keep trying to do everything else for everybody else. 
in order for them to look good, but also for them to get the result that they want to get because they don't believe in other people can contribute to a result that is highly functional and very good. You know, effective self-control has been linked to success in academics, all kinds of things. And and also it leads to a, a, a better life, you know, where we make better decisions. And, and so, it, you know, there's this thing called a social control theory, which uh, it was Hershey, I believe it was a person. I think it was like in the 60s, late 60s. They outlined like social forces that deter someone from participating in deviant behavior. So so it explains in detail how a minor might end up engaged in delinquent behavior. And it's helpful to know when one might have the lack of self-control. Forget, forget, for instance, if you look at group psychology and uh, group think, you're going to find people doing what other people are doing just because that's what they're doing. And so the group think means they think it's right as a group, though they're making an emotional choice. And what happens is they all try to validate each other and jump in and be loyal. But loyalty can be the dumbest thing you ever do in your life. People are loyal to gangs. So you got to really be very careful what you decide to be loyal to. You know, it's more impactful to know how to build self-control. You know, it's like a muscle. The more it's practiced, the stronger it becomes. And through the lens of juvenile delinquency, let's have a look at how positive psychology interventions might be great examples of how to broaden and build from theories of criminology. You know, one of the key elements of self-control is deferring gratification. Yes, deferring it. By utilizing the character of strengths of savoring and self-regulation, self-control can improve. You know, teaching children how to appreciate uh, and effectively distract themselves from gratification is a skill that will serve them into their adult life. You know, adults who have not learned these strengths and how to harness them can also benefit from that practice. So be cautious. The ability to be cautious is a part of what self-control is. So the character of strength, of, uh, of prudence, can be utilized to improve self-control. So teaching children how to think rather than merely reacting to an impulse is where the character of strength can be nurtured. That's an important value system if you're a parent. You know, with practice, better decisions can be made in real time if a person has self-control. Another element of self-control is the ability to see, you know, alternate perspectives. Uh, you know, social intelligence is a character that can strengthen and improve, but you have to be willing to hear other people's perspectives. And if you do that, you have a more comprehensive way to make better decisions and wiser decisions. Also, a person's ability to think, you know, taking time to explore before being impulsive decision making is a really strong example of self-control. Give yourself a time out and then give yourself a time back after you're not emotional so that you can make a choice. You know, less violent outbursts will occur when someone can slow their response to react to a perceived threat appropriately. You know, since, since probably the 40s, researchers have explored why humans make decisions that they do, especially the ones that lead to incarceration. You know, as, as, pers as our personal experience are theorized, uh, we create new decision-making based on experiences. And if you're going to surround yourself with idiots, it's really likely you're going to be an idiot. If you surround your people that do, yourself with people that do drugs, there's a high propensity you're going to do it too. You know, if you surround with alcohol or people that bully, good chance you're going to go down that avenue. 
So the smartest person in the world is a person who is smart enough to go in the room where people are smarter than them and wiser than them and have more common sense than them. Go to the place where people have the knowledge you need, not the knowledge that if you're going to be the expert in the room, that's going to be a sad thing because you're not going to learn anything from anybody. You know, an interesting explanation of willpower, which is what most people have lost, is their will, their will to lead, their will to do the right thing. You know, it's this uh, idea of delayed gratification. You know, the no system, the cognitive system of knowing is emotionally neutral and it's strategic and it's the seed of self-control. But hot emotions, which is called a go system, is really emotional and it's driven by the, the, the attempts to, to control things we cannot control. And so it's really important that self-control behavior has a, a goal. And its particular interest is healthy behavior, a healthy life, good, doing wise, healthy things, having, exercising good values. But the bottom line is, if you want to be an attractive person in your ugly old age, the first of all, don't be stinky. Second of all, try to be in somewhat a decent shape so that you're not dependent on everybody else to take care of everything, including wiping your butt. But the biggest one is your integrity. Your integrity is what makes you attractive when you're old. And, and I've said this before, but nursing homes are full of people who did not – and I'm not saying all of them. God forbid. Not, I'm not saying all the people. I'm saying a lot of people that don't have people show up to see them, to love them when they're when they're in the hospital, when they're doing various things. If people aren't showing up, that means that there is an there's something in your life where integrity wasn't managed properly. You know, there's there's, there's so much research on self control, and it's done through the lens of understanding what do you do when other people are present. And what do you do when you're by yourself? And are they consistent? Do you do you have an open door where people could see what you're doing whenever you're doing? That would be a great life if you could live like that because that takes great self-control. You know, there's self-control also influences policies on guidelines, work guidelines. And unfortunately, um, now we're having policies created instead of work guidelines or guidelines, and people lose their free will. <clears throat> and so self-control is either something you have to do to stay within the context of your work environment or your home environment or your faith-based environment, whatever that may be. These policies or these rules uh, dictate your own behavior, and it takes great self-control to be able to match up and join those kind of places. Well, that's our show. I hope it helps teach you something. I hope it's good for you. I want to thank everybody for listening. You know, I love hearing from you. You can do that by our webpage at voiceamerica.com, the empowerment channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now, remember, all kids should thank their dad for not pulling out during sex. The other thing is birth control effectiveness. Condoms, 99%. The pill, 93, 5.3. The mouth, 100%. Also, you know there's a problem when someone announces the beatings will continue until the morale improves. Also, men wear the pants in most relationships and women control the zippers. Also, wouldn't it be nice for Congress to pass a law allowing for a refund on our elections? 
Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 